Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. I've only known our guest speaker, guest speaker, I don't even know where he went, he probably left. Where are you, bro? Oh, there you are, okay. Anyhow, I've only known him like three and a half, four months, and he's, he's changed my life. He's so kind-hearted. He loves Christ passionately. Um, I haven't known anyone who, who consumes God's holy word more. Um, and as many of you are aware, maybe all of you are aware now that God has called Dan to be a lead pastor, senior pastor, whatever, um, at another church, an open Bible church in Dexter. And I'm telling you, when God calls, uh, there's only one response, that's to obey. And uh, I want to commend my brother that he's obeyed because the easy route might be, nah, he's probably not really calling me. That'd be the easy answer. But he heard the voice of the Lord, and he's going, and we love you. And would you please welcome Dan Stacker as he comes to preach. We're going to do that awkward boy hug thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I love you, brother. Thanks. Love you too, bud. Wow. I guess I better say something good now. Um, I have to be honest with you. Look at this big hair right here. Um, I have to be honest with you, I don't, I don't feel like I get nervous about a lot of things anymore, um, but I do get nervous about emotions, and, I, and I've been nervous a little bit about how emotional this would be. And I told myself to take a deep breath, look out at the crowd, and appreciate just how much I love you guys. Um, and there's a part of me, the temptation is, and this is something I've gotten good at in the past in doing ministry, which is, you know, I'll get asked to sing at a funeral or sing at a wedding or preach at something that's difficult to preach at. And you get kind of good at focusing in on what you got to do and kind of, you don't, you don't really spend any time in the moment because you kind of can't. You got you to perform, you got to do whatever. I could certainly do that this morning and I told myself to just stop first and not do that. I want to love on you guys. I want to share with you sort of a, I don't want to call it a parting message, but it's its something that it's, it's, I decided to preach from something that's been one of my very favorite things that I've studied in this last year. And I do think that it it's not necessarily in line with the series you guys just started. I was listening to Tom's message from last week. I do think, though, in this idea of God's economy, when we start to grab hold of that a little better as Christians, it naturally will bring positivity in our lives. It has to. Or else you really, and it would be okay to look in the mirror and go, really, what kind of faith do I really have? Um, if I don't believe that God's generous and this kingdom economy is overflowing. And that's, that's going to be, I'm kind of tipping my hand here at the real message of this message. Now, there's another reason I like it. Some of you guys know me well enough. There's some real controversy in this 
passage that we're going to talk about, and I, that gets me going. I love it. I love some controversy. There, we're going to get into it. There's going to be a, a f- I'm going to give you four different ways to interpret what we're about to read, and I think they're fascinating. Um, one of them I think is absolutely dangerous and it's gaining ground in our world today and, and Christians are listening to it. The other three I think are cool, uh, are okay. The fourth one's the one that I have, which is obviously the most right one. So, <laughs> so I'm going to really milk that one, okay? But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I'd like to pray and then we'll jump into the scripture. If you want to get there before, before I'm done praying, it's, I'm going to be in Matthew 15. Uh, starting in verse 21, but let's pray. I, I always just like to tap into God before we do this. Father, this is your word. This is your spirit and, and your thing going on here. And uh, so there's a part of me that doesn't have to worry about anything because if I just simply read this, Lord, you can do things with that. Um, would you... Would you take your words now, do what it says in Hebrews, where it says this, this is living and active and able to do things that humanly we aren't possible to do. Would you do that now in ways that I'll never, maybe I will never even know how you did it, but would you do that now? We invite you to speak to us through your word. Certainly use me as your vessel, Lord, to try to stay out of the way as best I can. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Starting in verse 21... I'm already like drying up. Um, Matthew 15, 21. This is the story of the Canaanite woman who uh, went and, and approached Jesus. Um, so let's start right away. We're gonna, we'll go through the verses as I like to do. I like to dig a little bit out of each verse, um, make, some, make some observations. There's going to be some observations I want to make with this text that are, they, they, it really, really brings this to life, at least for me it does, and I'm hoping it'll get you excited. I'm also hoping that by the end of this, you will see Jesus in a totally different light. You will, you will appreciate him more, his authority, all about him. Uh, my, my hope is that that will happen too. Um, verse 21, right off the get, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. So let's talk about that for a moment. You guys that know me, you know that I like maps, okay? Uh, so there's a map right there. Hopefully you can see it okay. You got, you got the Sea of Galilee, which is sort of center off to the right. You got Galilee and orange there. You got Syria. Um, Tyre and Sidon is up there to the top left, right there by the beach. And then you have Decapolis down to the b- bottom right, there's, there's, there's a reason I'm, I want you to catch this, and we can leave the map there for right now. There's things about Tyre and Sidon that make this story more interesting than just a surface level, just read through it. There's plenty that you can gra- gather just by doing that. I would always encourage you to just, you know, read your Bibles just because maybe you haven't dug deep like this doesn't mean you're not going to get something. The Holy Spirit's going to give you something. Um, but this is fascinating as we dig into it. Tyre and Sidon, let's just talk about that area for a moment. Couple things you need to know. One is the green area and Decapolis, that kind of purplish area, and, and pretty much any of the surrounding areas that's not Galilee, see the orange area. Galilee, for lack of a better term, whatever, was, was pretty Jewish friendly, if that's a thing. I, maybe, maybe nothing back then was necessarily Jewish friendly, but that was uh, right above the Sea of Galilee. You have um, Corazon and, and Capernaum and, 
Bethsaida, that's, that was considered like the religious triangle. If you want to kind of call that where Jesus' headquarters were, it's certainly where he drew most of his disciples, um, Peter and Andrew, uh, James and John, that's where they were fishing, uh, that kind of thing. Whenever you see Jesus take his disciples and leave that area, okay, so in other words, we're, we're up in Tyre and Sidon today, up in this green but when you hear about him going down to Decapolis, or any time he leaves that area, one thing just to keep in mind is they're heading into what was considered unclean areas, paganistic, uh, uh, Roman and Greek sympathizing areas, okay? Not very friendly necessarily to Judaism, okay? In fact, when they would go down there, there was, there was actually... We're not getting into this today, but there's like ceremonial washings and stuff just when you had to come back from those lands. That's how dirty and unclean they would call those places. So you can imagine when Jesus is heading there, to some degree, I believe that probably it's not too far-fetched to believe that the disciples at times were like, are we really, we're really going there? Like, do you know how hard it is to come back from there and have everybody go, where were you? You know, that's, that's how they would have looked at these areas. Now, it says he withdrew there. That idea possibly meaning for a little bit of R&R, a little bit of rest. And so, look, this, we, we could put it together. Look where Tyre and Sidon is. He, he went to the beach, okay? It's probably a really beautiful area. These guys are probably lounging a bit. I'm, I'm adding a little bit, but, that, but that's where they went, okay? I'm, I'm seeing some nice area there. Second thing to understand about that area is this area was known pagan, paganly, uh, in a paganistic way, as an area of healing. The Greek gods, uh, the Greek god of healing, there was, a, there was a, a temple erected to him even in that area. They believed that like, there was some type of a paganistic, ritualistic uh, healing that could happen there, which makes this story just a little bit more interesting, that this woman would seek out Jesus in an area that's supposed to be known for healing. Just kind of cool, just kind of cool. It gives you a little bit, uh, I'm going to be painting a picture that this woman might be a little more than we, we see right off the, pa- the page. The only other thing I would say about this area that's important to know is that this area also um, probably had some, some knowledgeable history of the time of the kings, particularly David and Solomon. In 1 Kings 5, we can go to that next slide. Um, 1 Kings 5, 1 through 4, you can look it up later, is this mention of King Hiram or Hiram. And it says that he had a friendship or love, some, te- some uh, versions say, for David. So there was some type of kinship, there was some, some, some friendliness going on there. Now that, that just means that years before this is happening, at least in the area, there's knowledge of King David, that friendship with the King of Tyre. Uh, there would be some, let's say it this way, possible, and I'm going to mention this later, Possible um, God-fearing Gentile people here. That's, that's what I believe this lady was, but we'll get into it. So check this out. What I just mentioned about this King, King David and Hiram being friends, it makes sense now when you read verse 22 that it says, And behold, a Canaanite woman came from that region and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Now, imagine this. When you are sort of, you know, casting yourself in front of somebody to kind of worship them and ask for, you know, something, and you're, you're basically even just in that action making them sort of a lord over you, right? 
the fact that she mentions king of or son of David, there's a there's a a bit of a like I I, I kind of know who you are, like I'm giving you credit for something. His disciples very I can't I'm not going to go you know paint over too much, but at that moment, his disciples I think at the very least they would have oh wow she just said son of David she knows something. At least they would have probably done that. But this idea of, of just like there, there's something going on, I think, more than just what we see here. And we're going to talk about that. She says, oh, son of David, my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Sidebar note, one of the things, if, you, if you're here um, and you have maybe what we'd call a prodigal kid or just a kid who's just not following Christ, Maybe they've gone down a road that you think there's no coming back from. You pay double attention to the Jesus in this story, okay? Just, just as a sidebar. Verse 23. This is weird. It should be weird. You guys should read this and go, this is weird, okay? But he did not answer her a word. This is Jesus now. Loving, loving Jesus. He did not answer her. He doesn't even answer her. And his disciples come to him and and kept asking him, saying, send her away, for she's shouting after us. Now, it's kind of funny that they say that, because the disciples have said this before. The feeding of the 5,000, it seems like it's one of their go-to answers. Just send them away, Jesus. Send them away. We don't have food for all these people. Send them away. So they're saying this now. Now, may, I'm, now look, my, the, the Monty Python in me, <laughs> like, pictures these guys all, like, they've already just put all their tanning oil on, and they're all hanging out at the beach, finally getting some rest, and this woman's shouting at them, like, come on, Jesus, send her away, send her away. Now, you would think Jesus would say, no, I love all people. She should stay. Wait, do you see what I'm about to do? But he answers them in a really weird way in verse 24. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That kind of follows with sometimes like our stoic Jesus. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Like, it's a weird, that's, does anybody else think that's a little bit of a weird answer? Okay. It really doesn't answer their question. It makes a statement. Okay, fine. But what happens then in verse 25, but she came and began to bow down before him saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Now, some of you know this story. In a minute, he's about to seemingly call her a dog. And that's part of where the, some of the controversy comes from, okay? I find this interesting. Maybe three of you may too, okay? Maybe not everybody. I find this interesting. The word there used in Greek for bow down is really the word worship. Um, proskoneo. Any Greek scholars? Good, then you won't know I didn't say it right. Proskuneo, I think, is, is the word. Now, I, you can put it up. You're not going to be able to see this. I'm not intending for you to see this. This is just proof, okay, that I, that I, that I screenshotted my Strong's Concordance Greek lexicon in my phone because this is crazy. This is crazy reading this. From and probably a derivative of meaning to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. Isn't that interesting? 
I mean, we're about to see Jesus say something about a dog here, but that's just fascinating to me. Doesn't maybe mean much, except that I find that fascinating, okay? Um, so, but she's clearly worshiping him. So then Jesus says in verse 26, and he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Oh, Jesus, really? Wow. But she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, your faith is great. Be it done to you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Okay? Now, let's deal with this because this is strange. Jesus makes a strange comment when his disciples say to send her away. And then he deals with this woman in what seems like a completely non-loving Jesus way calling her a dog or saying like, hey, it's wrong for me to even give you attention right now. He just got done saying, I'm not here for you. I mean, I'm throwing my words in it. I'm not here for you. In fact, what, I'm, what I am here for would be kind of wasting my time with you. You're, you're just a Gentile dog. This should be a little bit troubling, okay? Now, what's even more troubling is some of the controversial or at least, at least, uh, you know, argumentative ways that this has been translated, and that's what I want to get into. Hopefully, you'll, you'll find this fascinating, because I do. I'm going to try to make it fascinating. Um, like I said, the, the, my view of this, uh, <laughs> let me just say this as a, and I'm sure any Bible scholar out here, you ever, you ever study in the Bible, and you're studying deeply about something, and you really go, you know, I have a real take on this, because I've studied this a lot, you know? And you have a take on it that you haven't read in any of the books you've read. And so you start to think, like, hmm, I got my own thought on this, you know? And often it is your own thought on this. And then you find out there's like 20 books out there that have already been written about your thought. So I'm not going to say this is my thought, but I haven't at least at this point read any books on what I'm going to share with you, I think, is the actual right way to look at this. Um, if you do know, if I say it and you know it, that's, you read a book like even last week about this, let me know after. Don't tell a everybody here. Um, okay, so let's take, it, let's take a look at how this has been uh, translated or, you know, not translated, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, yeah, interpreted. Um, they're very fascinating. The first one I'm going to call the false one, like straight off, the one that I believe is coming from false teachers right now. Now, wh why share that with you? Well, because it's happening at a, a, you know, what we say viral rate right now. The internet right now, especially in this last year, this teaching has gone viral. There are a lot of people listening to this teaching, and there are a lot of people falling away from church uh, to follow this kind of teaching. Now, you guys have heard me say it before. I get sometimes on a bandwagon. I'm not going to do it right now. But just, just in the last couple years that I've been able to minister to the young adults, I've had to deal with progressive Christianity straight, straight up. Because I, I have people I care about very much that have started down that road. Some of them have started down that road, taken some of the, what I will call the good teachings there, figured some things out and stayed on a true course. Some of them have gone completely like Sia to the church. 
see it to the Bible, see it to the authority of the scripture, see it to Jesus' life or his, his work on the cross really meaning anything. Um, this view comes from that camp. Now, I, I want to be careful. There are, there are men and women in that camp that I believe are brilliant people that I have gleaned some teachings from, okay? This teaching, and I'm not going to mention names because that's the... I, I, I'm not going to be the kind of person that mentions these kinds of people's names unless I feel like they're directly hurting like a flock that I feel called to, you know? So you can look this stuff up on your own. Trust me, it's out there. You'll be able to find it. Um, This first teaching I call false one, it's that Jesus in this passage is at best just mistaken and at worst acting as a racist here. That he's being a racist here that he's using a term that often was used for Gentiles from, from the, the Jewish nation of being a dog, and that here he is just using a racial slur and he's being a racist, and that what you see happen as he decides to heal this lady's daughter is repentance of that. A lot of what's happening in progressive Christianity is that Jesus is brought down from his lordship and being God to just being sort of like one of us, and he's just a good example. This is a, this is a passage where he's just being a good example, and we should follow that. See, they'll say, well, we should still follow Jesus, yeah, but this is just a good example. I, I struggle with that. If he's truly God, how could he be racist, right? Racism is such a form of ignorance, such a form of bad teaching, you know, some, some children that have been just taught horribly, or, or just a form of fear, so many racists are just, they're afraid of difference and people who are different. Why would God ever have any of that in his DNA? So we're going we're gonna, to, I'm chalking that one off. No good. The second one I'm going to call like the stoic one. This is just simply, this is by a lot of fundamental teachers. If this one you hold to, awesome, stick with it. It works, no problem. It's safe. It's the safest one. It's that Jesus is just stating facts here. He's just stating facts. This is what, this is what the, the Jews called the Gentiles. They were dogs. Back then, it didn't have the, the racial slur like um, uh, weight that we put on them today. And because the, like back then, it was just sort of something they called, so maybe it wasn't so bad. He just says the truth. My, I'm sorry, but my job is for this. This is what I'm here for. But I'm going to extend it to her in much the same way that we see at the wedding at Cana when Jesus' mom comes to him. Hey, they're running out of wine, right? And he's like, well, uh, this isn't my time. Like it's seemingly like he's like, why are you bothering me with this right now? It's not my time. This is not my thing right now. But then what does he do? He does the miracle. That's what some people think is happening here. This isn't my, my concern right now. But okay, I'll, I'll do it. Like, if that's your view, that's fine. That's a fine view. It's certainly safe. It sticks to the text. Okay. Third view. This one's fascinating to me. Um, this one uh, comes from one of my, one of my favorite teachers lately. Um, some of you guys have been into uh, the, the Bama podcast with, with Marty, Sol- uh, Marty Solomon. And, and, and I think the, um, the Bible, uh, what's the other one? The Bible... Uh, what was that? Yeah, yeah. That, those guys, too, I think, talk a little bit about it, too. Um, but Marty, Marty's teaching on this, and I love the guy. I do. 
uh, I call like the light bulb idea. Now, his, his thinking, now when Marty usually says stuff, and I'm saying this because I know a lot of you guys are into Bama right now, and I, and I am too. I'm, I'm on season five, and I'm like still going and going. Uh, he, when he, when he deals with this, he suggests, as he does, he doesn't tell you this is exactly what's happening, it's just a suggestion, that Jesus might be learning here about a, a deepening of his ministry. So the idea being, we all probably, I'm going to just assume for a second, we all don't have a problem with Jesus as the man side of Jesus learning as he was a child. I mean, he had to learn how to walk and talk. I don't think in the manger at Christmas that baby was like, yo, hey, I'm here, what's up? You know, like he had to learn. We, we assume that he had to learn some things. To the extent, I don't know. And I know that I learned a lot of things still when I was 30 and 31, 32. Like, like could Jesus still learn? Maybe he could. Maybe he could. Maybe in this moment, maybe, maybe, in this moment, it's the first time he's realizing there are pockets of, Gentile, of, of God-fearing Gentiles in the world, in this land, that need the message, that need to start hearing the new news. Um, again, he doesn't dogmatically say that's what it is. It's just a suggestion. Now, um, it is interesting that they go right from here. If you read on later this week or this afternoon or something like that, you, you keep reading, you'll see they go right from here down to the Decapolis area like we talked about, and that's where the feeding of the 4,000 happens. So he goes right to another Gentile kind of packed place, and he does the, the feeding of the 4,000. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, plus, there's sort of some, some idea here that because he's, she knows that, he's, that he is the son of David, because she seems to know some things, maybe some scripture, maybe some text from the Old Testament, that it's possible that when she says what she says about the crumbs, that she's referring back to 1 Kings 17, which is the miracle where Elisha uh, basically asks for food from that Gentile woman who was about to make her last meal for her kids, if you remember. And that meal lasts for a really long time because she feeds the servant of God and that flower just doesn't run out. So this idea here might be that Jesus is going, wow, there's people that know, know the text, know their word. Um, that's a possibility. Now, I kind of don't think it's that either. What I believe... What I believe is going on here is so, again, <laughs> I think it's so wonderful. I think it's so amazing that, like, guys, those, those of us, I know a lot of my friends here, we're all really into to the Bama podcast, really like Marty, and I really do. I wish I could talk to him about this. I actually think if I had a nice afternoon lunch with Marty, I might get him on my side on this. That's how much I love this view, Okay. Um, I, I would at least get the, the Brent Billings answer, which, like, where Marty would go. That's good, yeah, that's, I like that, I like that. It's this, I call it the rabbinical view. Jesus is always, in his ministry, acting like a typical rabbi. Rabbis would have a small group of guys called disciples. The very gathering of disciples, the way Jesus did, would have been very rabbinical. Everything he seemed to do and the way he taught, all of it, was very rabbinical. Now, that means something because a rabbi doesn't just go places and do stuff. They're constantly looking for chances to teach. They're constantly looking for chances for their disciples to learn something. 
Now, another thing that's really important, you've heard me say this up here, anybody that's gone through the Bama podcast knows this truth, and that is there's also a difference with Eastern-style teaching and learning and Western-style, and I won't get that much into it. Western-style is more like what I'm doing right here. I'm giving you information. Take it. Try to remember it. If you're going to remember it, if you think it's important, maybe take some notes, whatever. The Eastern way is to kind of go around the truth of it so that you learn, like discover it. Like, so a rabbi often would try to draw the truth out of you. Because if you can come up with it, because that, that light bulb goes off in you, and you're like, ah, oh, you have that aha moment, chances are better you will remember it for way longer and way better. So it's why Jesus taught in parables, for example. He taught in a parable one time, and they asked him, why'd you do that? And he actually says, so they wouldn't understand. That doesn't make any sense to a Western style of looking at how to, how to teach, right? So that, I mean, I think most of my math teachers taught that way. So, and I'm being serious. But so anyway, so, but, but the point was I want the people who want the truth to dig deeper and, and I want it to be drawn out of them. I think Jesus is acting like a rabbi here. I really do. Follow me here. Oh, let me just mention this too. Um, it's always, I don't care if you have your doctorate degree, I don't care how much Bible you studied, how much time you spent in prayer and the word, one thing we'll never quite understand, quite understand, is when is Jesus acting like a man and when is he putting, as Marty said, God goggles on and kind of knows more. You could definitely tell there are times when he does do that. He has some type of word of knowledge that's beyond what a human, you know, instinct would have known, whereas he's acting like God. So we don't know. Maybe he did that here. Maybe he knew this woman needed him. Maybe he's heading there. Maybe he goes to Tyre and Sidon because he knows that she needs him, and he's going to take his disciples and teach them something here. It wouldn't be surprising to me if he knew all that. Anyway, the idea is he doesn't just go places to hang there. He goes and he's always teaching, always teaching. So here's, here's take relook at what's going on here. This is what I suggest is going on. And I think it's beautiful. They're hanging out. She comes up. She's crying out to him. She says, son of David. That immediately puts a charge into this conversation. It immediately would have done that whether my view of this is right or not, I think it would have done that. I think the disciples would have gone, oh man, you're talking about these young, young teenagers who have probably at this point possibly have had the whole Torah memorized. They, these guys know their, their text, their word. And they would have heard that and been like, this woman might know something here. And Jesus says what he says, where he says, I'm not, I'm not here for her, remember? And he says, I'm here for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I think he says that with an earshot of her to get her to push in even further. Because that, that statement doesn't make any sense to me. It's like he's saying, kind of with the intent for her to hear, I'm not here for you, to see if she'll just go, yeah, you're right, I forgot about that, and walk away. But there's something of the text, there's something of Jesus she knows already, and he gets her to, to go even further. Because then she worships him. She, she worships him even deeper. 
And what does Jesus say? It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, none of us here, none of us here immediately get goosebumps when we hear the word bread. But a good Hebrew, a good Jewish kid would. The word bread alone just has so much significance to it, especially in Judaism. It always has a symbol of God's provision, an unending, generous provision. When you hear about bread, you know something probably pretty good is coming. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. To us, that goes, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. Yeah. To them, it would have been like, whoa, that means something. That means something. I think Jesus is throwing, not to be sacrilegious, but almost a riddle to her. Does she know about bread? Does she know about bread? Does she know? Does she know the Holy Scriptures? Does she know the text a little bit? Even though she's a Gentile, do you guys realize how hard it would have been for a Gentile to know the text the way a good Jewish person would who gets to go to synagogue, who gets to go and hear the scrolls read, who has to, has to memorize the Torah and the Tanakh and all that stuff. They have to memorize all that stuff. Gentiles didn't get to do that. She would have had to have pressed in to hear the word somehow. I think Jesus uses the word bread because he's saying, all my buddies would have known what I'm talking about here. Do you know what I'm talking about? And then her answer is profound in two ways. Let me explain. But she said, yes, Lord, but even the dog's feet on, on, the, on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She says two things. One, she says, they're masters. She literally, in a humble worship way, just said, Jesus is the master. I never caught that before, but this woman, this Gentile woman living in a pagan land, having a daughter who is messed up and just crying out to Jesus says, you're the master. And the second thing in her answer to bread, this idea of what I'm saying is bread, is she's saying, and I'm not trying to put words in her mouth, but this is basically what I believe she's saying. You can call me a dog, but I know there's enough of you to go around. That just breaks me. You can call me anything you want, Jesus. I know there's enough for you to go around. I'm here because of that. I'm here to make you my master. You can kick me around. I don't care what you're, you're worth calling a master. You cannot answer my prayer right now. I'm, I'm worshiping first. I'm not worshiping you after you did what I asked you to do. I'm here to worship you, and I'll take the crumbs because according to Scripture... And stuff we've seen in the Old Testament and the whole idea of bread and maybe she did even hear about the feeding of the 5,000. There's plenty of you to go around. There's plenty of you. And he heals her, her daughter. Just take a couple of seconds here. I'm almost done. I wonder what the hug was like when she got home. It's something fun to think about as we're talking about Positivity. Positivity. I wonder how she, I wonder if she ran home. I wonder if she ran home. To hear her Lord, she's already told him, you're the master and I'll take the crumbs even if that's all I get. And he says, she's, she's good. Your daughter's good. I wonder if she ran home. I wonder if the, I wonder if the disciples just had a jaw dropping because they just learned something too, didn't they? Jesus drew the truth out of this woman like a rabbi would do. He, he, he got her to say it. You notice Jesus didn't teach her that. He got her to say it. 
This is my idea of what he might have been doing. I wonder too. I'm just going to throw this one. I'm almost done. I wonder. Sometimes I wonder. God gave me a picture while I was studying for this. And I, and I said to myself when I saw it in my head, I can't preach this. <laughs> like I, what I'm doing right, right now. Um, so I can't say that it's some kind of vision. And I can't say this is how it went down. But I do believe it was a wave of God just, just bringing me to that place where God is so generous and he's so loving as opposed to this stoic Jesus who's just like, sometimes I wonder, and again, I had this vision, this picture in my head. If Jesus, when he said, it's not right to give the bread for the children to the dogs, I wonder if he put his arm around her more and said it more the way a grandpa would say to their grandkid when they come into the kitchen for another cookie that their mom just said they can't have. I wonder if he just said, you know, I'm not supposed to give this to you. I wonder if that's his tone. Just something to think about. Not saying it was. So here's how I'm going to wrap up. Um, Do you guys understand what I'm trying to point out is that God's economy isn't tight. It's generous. Okay? He owns everything. He has let us be called. If you're a Christian here now, you've given your life to Christ. He says you are an heir. So it's not just about like, yeah, come on in. It's the work to be heirs. If there's something to be positive about, right? It's that. If that's how generous our God is, shouldn't we be that generous? There's something about, you ever hear people when they talk about what they would do with millions of dollars if they won the lottery? And sometimes a lot of them are like, yeah, I'd give my family 10,000, I'd give the, blah, blah, blah. They soon, all of a sudden get real generous. Well, that's the way the kingdom economy is supposed to be with a Christian. There should not be holding anything in our pockets back because we're not sure if it's going to run out. It should never be like that, ever, ever. It should never be like that. It should be constant, hey, man, I got too much of this. I got too much love coming from God. I have too much forgiveness. How could I possibly not forgive you? I am such a putz sometimes. God's forgiven me of so many things. How can I not just be forgiving to you? That's, God's, that's how we act as Christians. That's why we can love even our enemies. I got a chance to have, and I, and I honestly, I'm closing with this. I got a chance to have dinner uh, with a guy named Chris Hansler. He's the regional executive director of Open Bible Churches. Um, kind of a big guy, big, big wig, <laughs> whatever you want to call him. Important guy uh, in Open Bible Churches. And I was having dinner with him. And he was, he was telling me how the next day he was going to have to meet with Wayne Cordero. Um, do you guys know who Wayne Cordero is? So he's a pretty big deal too. So I, I tried to sneak in there and feel like a pretty big deal myself. Like, yeah, he's having dinner with me and then Wayne. And it's like, hey, tell Wayne I said hi. You know? He said, do you know who Wayne is? I'm, I'm like, no, I don't. But, or does he know you? now? I, I don't really. But so, yeah, I tried to jump in on that, that ship somehow. And I told, he, he was asking me what I'd preach on this Sunday. And I, I kind of gave him a quick version of what I just told you guys. And I, it got him to go into a story that I don't think he was planning on telling me that night. And he told me that his, uh, he just lost his wife, uh, not quite a year and a half ago, I guess, to cancer. And I could see that it was still fresh, you know. He wasn't weeping, but it was, you could, you could see 
when something that painful has happened to somebody. And he says, he says to me, he goes, and I know you know this because we kind of shared stories. And he said, there's something about trials like that that tend to clarify for, for a person of faith. They have this way of taking some of the foggy distraction and the foggy stuff and getting down to the basis of the rock of our faith and can clarify things. And he said, it sounds like what you're speaking on Sunday. He goes, a lot with what God's telling me. And so he told me this one little st- statement that I am going to remember now, and it's going to be part of the DNA of everything I talk about at this new church I'm going to. And I just want to, I just want to drop it in your lap and... and It kind of goes with this whole idea of God's economy. He said, where he's at now after all that pain is that he just now knows the Lord is just saying, and he's asking for help, just love the person in front of you. Like the clarity of just, just doesn't matter who they are, where you're at. You could be in the store, at church, in a parking lot, at a game, at work. Just love the person in front of you. Be there and love them. It sounds so simple, almost too simple, until you really think about it. If, you ju- if we just did that, so many of this other thing would go away. So I, I leave that with you. Um, Marcus, you can make your way up. We'll, we'll pray. People need, guys, to meet this Jesus we just talked about. I'm wondering, do they, do they meet him in me? And do they meet him in you, in this church? Um, it should be a pillar of what we're all about. Love the person in front of you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, um, so... So I'm not very good at this. I mean, I'm not going to stand up here, pretend like what I just said to everybody is something that I'm way down the road on and I'm doing really well at. Lord, I'm a self-preserver. I'm a selfish, um, at times protective person of my time and of, of my energies. You do that all the time, Lord. And, and there's, I think I do a pretty good job of loving people when they're lovable. <laughs> um, but I want to love people the way Jesus did. And, and not just because I want to be like Jesus, but because you have lavished so much on me and I have no right to be anything other than that. That's something I just confess at your feet right now, Lord. Just, I don't have a right to be any other way. I don't have a right to live any other way or to look at fellow people, brothers and sisters, or even enemies, neighbors. I don't have a right to look at them any other way except with a a massive, generous love that comes from you. Oh, boy. So will you help us do that, Lord? Will you help Westside do that? Will you help Lakeside do that, Father? Um, We just give us... Uh, give you, us, and everything that we're about. In Jesus' name.